Hi there, thank you for listening to Clear Bible. This sermon is on the text of Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 29, and I pray that the Lord speaks to you through this text. All right, I think I've got this one on, is that right? Or not? Maybe if uh, Nick pays attention back there, I'll have some, some microphone there. There we go. See, I already fit in, right? I already fit in. <clears throat> no. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, good deal. I just, I just want you to feel like I'm, I'm one of the guys here. All right. <clears throat> well, thank you guys for having me here. Uh, my understanding is that we're in Philippians, and uh, Wade texted me this, this text a couple weeks ago, Philippians 2. 19 through 30, and I was kind of irritated at him because it's, uh, it's not much of a text, you know, I'm thinking, what's the deal here? But I, I've been preaching for 20 years, and one of the things that the Lord taught me a long time ago is that His Holy Spirit has inspired every single part of Scripture, and it started with some really difficult parts of Scripture. If you, if you read the whole Bible, you know there's some pretty tough stuff in there. And uh, that used to really bother me until I began to trust the Lord to speak through every little bit. So Wade texted me this one, and I thought, well, this is stupid. It shows you how slow I am to learn. Um, but then, of course, the Holy Spirit started working, and, uh, and now, you know, hopefully I'll be able to be quiet by the time it's time for you all to go home. So uh, I don't know how much you all have covered in the background of Philippians. I'll just sort of set the stage so that we remember um, Paul was writing, most likely, from the city of Rome. He had gone to Jerusalem, he'd gotten arrested there, and he, uh, he was under trial, and he appealed to Julius Caesar, because he was a Roman citizen, he made an appeal to Julius Caesar to, uh, you know, grant him freedom. And it turned out that if he had not made that appeal, the officials there in Palestine would have been able to set him free. But by his own sort of legal maneuvering, he got himself stuck as a prisoner for a much longer time than he was expecting. And so when he was in Rome there, he was under house arrest. He, he had a guard with him at all times. He was not in a jail cell, but he was under arrest. And he was waiting for Caesar, the, the, the Roman emperor, to decide whether or not he would live or die. It was, it was as simple as that. It was, do I live? Do I die? And uh, he was waiting for Caesar. He waited for more than a year, probably more than two years. And so while he was in Rome, waiting to find out if he was going to die or live, he wrote this letter to the Philippians. And one of the things that happened while he was in Rome, waiting to find out the results of his trial, the, uh, the church at Philippi, this was a church that Paul had helped to start years before. He'd been there. He'd helped them to start. Several different times that Philippian church had sent, them, had sent Paul support for his ministry. They sent him support in Corinth. And, uh, and it appears that they also sent him support while he was on trial in Rome, while he was waiting for his judgment. They sent him some money. Uh, they may have sent him some, you know, some necessary things like warm winter clothing or other things like that. Might have been food, might have been writing supplies, who knows what else. But they sent it with a guy named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus came, he delivered the gift from the Philippians and uh, was there to encourage Paul and, you know, sort of bring their greetings to Paul. While he was there in Rome with Paul, he got sick and he almost died. And this is what Paul is talking about when we get to our text today. 
So let's, let's pray before we go any further, and then we'll read the text. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us through your word today. Uh, I know for sure nobody needs to hear from me. We all desperately need to hear from you. So I pray you to open our hearts and minds to hear your word, to receive your word, to let it in, let it change us, let us do whatever it needs to do within us. We ask you to do that now, and we trust you to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the text, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 29. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may also be encouraged when I hear news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm convinced in the Lord that I myself will also come quickly, but I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he's been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one grief on top of another. For this reason, I'm very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice when you see him again, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in honor. And so, as a preacher, you know, I... I, especially a guest preacher, I want, you know, one of the great themes of scripture, I want to, you know, preach on this amazing stuff, and here you have Paul basically talking about, well, this is what I want to send a message with, with this guy, and I'm going to send you your messenger back, and he was sick, and he's just talking about ordinary everyday life. It's, there's no great, you know, this is not Romans chapter 8, it's not Romans chapter 3, it's, it's not even anywhere in Galatians, you know, it's just kind of, this is ordinary life, this, is, this guy was sick and now he's better and I'm going to send you this and thanks for your gift and all that, and uh, so I was, I was a little irritated with Wade, but, <clears throat> but again, as I say, the Holy Spirit is good and he drew my attention to something here, Paul begins with this little phrase, he says, now I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. It's a really small phrase, but I think it contains a big thought, and I think actually it contains the thought that is the key to this whole text, at least what the Holy Spirit might want to say to us today. We come back to this text another time, he might want to say something different, but I think today what, what he's saying is something about this hope in the Lord. Paul doesn't just say, I hope to send Timothy to you. He says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. I think it's a big difference. We all should hope in the Lord, right? We should hope in the Lord for forgiveness. We should hope in the Lord for grace, for, for you know, power to live the Christian life. We should hope in the Lord for all sorts of things. But Paul's saying, I hope in the Lord for my travel plans, for my messaging plans, uh, you know, I guess the equivalent now is I hope in the Lord that my iPhone plan works out or something like that. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Uh, now, you may have heard something before that, you know, the phrase Lord willing. When I grew up, the preacher always said, you know, he'd, he'd do his announcements and he'd say, services next Sunday, Lord willing. 
at 10 o'clock as if, you know, just sort of like, well, you know, if, if God lets us, we'll do this. And sometimes we use that phrase, Lord willing. It comes from the book of James, by the way, where James says, look, you know, you're making all your plans. You don't even know if you're going to live through the rest of this day. And so don't just make all your plans as if you're in control of your life. Say, if the Lord allows it, we'll do this. But I do think sometimes we Christians can abuse that a little bit. And we can say, well, you know, if God allows it, I'm going to buy me a new sports car. Or if God allows it, I'm going to, you know, do this or that. And it's almost like we're just saying, I hope God lets me to do this. Paul is saying something differently entirely here. He's saying, I hope in the Lord that I can send Timothy to you, that all these travel plans work out, that these things happen. He's saying everything that he hopes for, even these mundane, ordinary, everyday type things, everything he hopes for comes in and through Jesus. Yeah, he wants to send Timothy, he wants his plans to work out, but it's not simply that he wants God to bless it. He wants his plans to be aligned with his eternal hope in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit often uses marriage in the New Testament. Marriage is a great illustration for our relationship with the Lord. Now, I know sometimes you ladies have to, you know, wrap your head around being a son of God because there's a a concept of sonship in the New Testament. It's not gender specific, but it's a concept that is best described by sonship. And so we men have to do the same thing with marriage. We are the bride of Christ, whether we're male or female, just as women are sons of God, whether male or female. And so marriage, I think, is a great illustration when we think about this hoping in Jesus. I hope for whatever in Jesus. How about this one? Can you include within your marriage the hope? Can you say, I hope within my marriage to have an affair? No, no, you can't do that. That is, that is not a, a real hope that you have for your marriage. And so I think that sort of clarifies what we're talking about with Jesus. First of all, we can't hope in Jesus for something that is sinful. That, that, that makes it very clear, I think. Now, obviously, Paul's idea for, for travel is not a sinful issue, right? He's, he's, he's just hoping in the Lord to, to send Timothy and and, you know, he's sorry about all the sickness and everything that's going on. But, but let, me, let me bring that back to marriage. Say that I hope within my marriage uh, to travel to Alaska and for a fishing trip. Is that really a hope that includes Carrie? Carrie doesn't like to fish. So it's, it's not necessarily a hope within my marriage. If I hope within my marriage to travel, what that really should mean is that I hope for the two of us to be together. I hope for this to be something that is part of our marriage, not something that I do on my own and Carrie just allows or blesses. If I hope for something within my marriage, I want it to take place with both of us. I want it to be part of our relationship together. And that's what Paul is saying about Jesus. I hope in Jesus, for these things to take place in my life. Again, you know, here's another one. I hope within my marriage to buy season tickets to the Tennessee Titans. Carrie is not a football fan. Some women are. Carrie is not a football fan, though. That would not be a hope within my marriage. That would be a hope that is really outside of our marriage. It's something that uh, isn't a hope for the two of us. And I think what Paul is showing us with these mundane, ordinary, everyday matters is that every hope that we have should be rolled up into our hope in Jesus. Just like marriage, our hopes should be together. Our hopes should be together with Jesus. 
Here's another one. And I, I prepared this sermon and I didn't remember. I actually preached this last night at our congregation. And I didn't remember there was actually a guy who went out and did this. I think he was okay, though. I mean, I've talked to him and I, I know why he did it. And, and I don't think it was the same. But for me, if I were to say, I hope in Jesus to buy a brand new sports car. I hope in Jesus to buy a brand new sports car. There may be nothing wrong with buying a brand new sports car, or there may be. For me, there would be. That would be a, a problem, I think. But if we think of Jesus, or if I think of Jesus in that transaction in terms of my hope for a brand new sports car, all I really want is for him to allow it or maybe provide me the resources to buy it. I don't really have that as part of my hope for relationship with Jesus. You see what I'm saying? I want this thing on the side. And I think that is exactly what Paul is confronting with us with these words, or what the Holy Spirit is confronting us with through these words, that all of our hopes need to be wrapped up in Jesus, and we're not supposed to have something out on the side. Nothing in life, nothing, think about this, nothing in life should be apart from our hope in Jesus. Sounds simple, it's a big statement, sounds simple, but start thinking about specific things, and it becomes very challenging. The good side of it is what Paul's talking about, ordinary mundane things, travel plans, plans to send messages, uh, sick friends. Paul, at this point, was probably feeling very abandoned and lonely. All of that was rolled up into his hope in Jesus, and that's the positive side. There is obviously also the challenging side, too. But listen to what Paul says about Timothy. He says, I have no one else like-minded who also has the same hope in Jesus, who will genuinely care about your interests, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. So Timothy, Paul is saying, Timothy's like me. All of his hope is in Jesus. He doesn't have his own interests out on the side. All of his hope is wrapped up in Jesus. So let me make this clear. Let's, let's make sure we understand this. Is this really true? Should we have no interests? And by interests, you know, that, that could be uh, you know, an ambition, a desire, uh, you know, even a, as simple as a hobby or as complex as, you know, an ambition to dominate the world, whatever it is. Do you, can we really have nothing outside of Jesus? Think about that. Think about that question. Can we really have nothing outside from Jesus? No hope apart from our relationship with Jesus. Not just no hope of salvation, but no hope of anything. Well, let's listen to Jesus. The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it, and anyone losing his life because of me will find it. Different passage now. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? What will a man give in exchange for his life? So in answer, can we have anything sort of on the side, any interests apart from Jesus, any hopes, ambitions, plans apart from Jesus, I think the answer is a pretty clear no. 
according to Jesus. I could quote about 10 more times when Jesus said something like this. I think you get the idea. Later on in Paul's letter to the Philippians, I don't want to steal anyone else's thunder, whoever's preaching later, but listen to what he says a little bit later on in chapter 3. But everything, everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in, the surpa- in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own apart from the law, but one that it is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. So yes, all of our interests should be wrapped up in Jesus, and no, we should have no interests apart from Jesus. Even our mundane concerns like those Paul is talking about, sick friends, travel plans, all these things should be rolled up into Jesus. Again, as I mentioned, Paul gives Timothy as one example of somebody who gets this. He gives Epaphroditus, this guy from Philippi, this messenger, uh, as, as another example. He says, he's my friend, my co-worker, and my fellow soldier. And this is what Paul thinks about soldiers in Christ. This is from 2 Timothy. <clears throat> he says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the recruiter. Um, Nick, if you want to give me just a second to cough here. Okay, good. So, is anyone feeling like this is a lot yet? Does this feel a little burdensome? Does this feel a little tough? I don't think you're listening if you don't understand. This is hard. This is difficult. Really? Nothing apart from my hope in Jesus? Not one little thing I can enjoy without him? C.S. Lewis was someone who talked about this, and I think it's, uh, it's fascinating. I actually read this last night after I preached this sermon to my church. I was just doing a little light reading and apologetics afterwards, and I came across this, and I thought, this is perfect for, for tomorrow as well. C.S. Lewis said this, The ordinary idea which we all have is that we have a natural self with its desires and interests, and we have something called morality or decent behavior that has a claim on us. We are all hoping that when the demands of morality and society have been met, the poor natural self will still have some chance, some time to get on with its own life and do what it likes. In fact, we're very like an honest man paying his taxes. He pays them, but he does hope there'll be enough left over for him to live on. The Christian way is different, both harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want this much of your time and money and this much of your work so that your natural self can have the rest. I want you, not your things. I have come not to torture your natural self. I will give you a new self instead. Hand over the whole natural self, all that's capitalized in the original desires, not just the ones you think are wicked, but the ones you think are innocent, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. Soren Kierkegaard, famous philosopher, Phil's probably studied some of his stuff, uh, he said something very similar too. He said, the almost impossibly hard thing 
is to hand over your whole self to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are trying to do instead. For what we're trying to do is remain what we call ourselves, our personal happiness centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping despite this to behave honestly or chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned you cannot do. If I am a grass field, all the cutting will keep the grass short, but it won't produce wheat. If I want wheat, I must be plowed and re-sown. And so this is, this is the important thing here. He does want all, but he gives us a way that it can be easier. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up your yoke, or my yoke, excuse me, and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's be honest, I think a lot of us sometimes don't perceive the Christian life as a, an easy yoke and a light burden. And I think the reason is we're trying to have both things. We want our own stuff apart from Jesus, and we want Jesus. The illustration I think of is if you're walking around, I used to do a lot of backpacking, you walk around carrying a 50-pound backpack, and then Jesus comes up to you and says, with a 10-pound backpack, and he says, here, take my 10-pound backpack on yourself. And we, you know, or me anyway, silly guy that I am, okay, and I try and put that 10-pound backpack on top of my 50-pound. And Jesus is saying, no, drop your whole load, just take my 10 pounds. The trick is, is there enough in that 10-pound backpack for me to live on? Is there enough for me to camp with? And Jesus says there is, but we have to trust him for it. I think too often, and this is kind of, I grew up overseas, it's kind of an American thing. We think we can have it all. We can, we can do all this stuff and have Jesus as well. But I don't think that Jesus agrees. I don't think he does. There's another uh, illustration I thought of. It's from the show Band of Brothers. It's about, uh, the Band of Brothers is about a, a, a infantry company in the Second World War. They were actually a parachute infantry company. And they, uh, they parachuted in on D-Day or the night before D-Day. And they had to you know, fight and take some various positions so that the D-Day landings would go well. And uh, in the show, there's a, a guy who, he landed and he was just terrified. He was just absolutely terrified and he hid in a ditch. That's all he did. He hid in a ditch. He didn't try to rejoin his comrades. He didn't fight. He didn't do anything. He just hid in a ditch. And he was just paralyzed with fear. And uh, finally, he, he found an officer and, and the officer could see something was wrong. And, and he finally told the officer what he had done. And the officer says something like this. You hid in that ditch because you think there's still hope. But the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you are already dead. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. Jesus came. We're going to do a baptism later. And there's a scripture that talks about how baptism unites us with the death of Christ. We are already dead. And the sooner we can accept that, and give up these other things of our own, the sooner we can function as a Christian is supposed to function. Again, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, not my yoke plus yours, just my yoke. He means for us to drop our own burdens and have none except that which is in him. And that is the only way that I can possibly conceive of where we can do this thing where we have no hope apart from Jesus is if we drop it all and say, okay, we'll take your yoke. 
Let's return to the illustration of marriage. Married life would be really difficult, at least for Carrie and I, if I had all kinds of hopes and dreams that did not include her. That would put tremendous pressure on our marriage. That would put tremendous uh, tension there. With me always trying to go out and fulfill my dreams and do everything that had nothing to do with Carrie, there's no place for Carrie in those dreams, and I'm trying to do that. Then when we come back and try to do our marriage thing, it's going to be very difficult. And let's be honest, I think some people have very difficult marriages because that is exactly what's going on. When we apply that to Jesus, it's even more difficult. If we try to have these interests and hopes apart from Him, it is incredibly difficult. Like with Jesus, or sorry, like with marriage, we need to be all in. When, when I married Carrie, we became, Jesus says, the two become one. I don't have my own interests apart from Carrie. We have ours together. And it should be the same with Jesus. And when it's not, it's really hard. All right, so you all got it? It's all easy now, right? <laughs> Obviously not. This is hard to do. It's hard to do. But I want to point to the all-sufficiency. Do you have a crucifix around here or a cross somewhere? Is there one here? There we go. I knew I saw one earlier. The, the all-sufficiency of Jesus, he is enough within himself to allow us to do this. If we take the risk of having no hope apart from him, he is enough for us. That 10-pound backpack, that light load that he offers us, that is a self-replenishing thing, and there's always enough there for us. All he needs is our willingness to trust him, and when we do, the load does become light and we can have no hope apart from him and it can really be good and it can really work and it doesn't have to be burdensome. But we do have to trust him for it. We do have to trust him for it. Here's, here's the thing. I'm sure you guys have heard this, but you know, how did you become a believer? By, as Paul asked to the Galatians, by works of the law or by faith? By faith, right? So how do you want to continue as a believer? By works of the law or by faith. We continue the same way we began, by faith through by grace through faith. We the Lord has the grace to allow us to roll our, our hopes into Him. And so I want to invite us all to pray now, to recognize this. Lord, together as a as a body, corporate group, we want to recognize the truth of your word, that all of our hopes need to be in you. And we want to recognize our own individual failings in that, that sometimes we, we like to keep something off on the side. And Lord, I recognize that when I hear this word, that everything, I shouldn't have anything off to, my, off to the side. I shouldn't have my own interests. I know that I'm not enough to change that. But I know that you are enough. Your presence in my life can change that. And I invite you to come to each of us now, for all of us who are willing, realign our hopes, realign our interests, so that there's none apart from you. Jesus, by your power, let us experience that truth that your yoke is easy, that when we drop everything and take only you, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Thank you for making that possible through the cross. 
Thank you for making that possible by sending your Holy Spirit. Give us the, the faith to grab hold of it, to grab hold of you while you're, you pour your grace into our hearts. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.